Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nonsense and Noise, a podcast about the queer pop culture and media experience. I'm your host, Nathan Cotto, and date of recording is February 27th. I just finished eating dinner, so my brain is a little slow. I uh, had got some nice takeout and... Um, watched Digimon Ghost Game. It comes out every Sunday. It's been an interesting experience watching that show just because like it's so different from previous Digimon shows, but yeah, it's been a cool experience. It's very different, but then also like, I don't know, some of the beats are the s- actually aren't any of the beats are the same. I mean, like there's some things that are kept the same, obviously, between like other Digimon seasons in the franchise, but this one is very interesting thus far, and I feel like as Digimon grows as a franchise, the pacing of the story is just sometimes not good. So, like, so far that's my only complaint with Ghost Game, but probably we'll do an episode all about Ghost Game later at some point. Uh, it's just me this week. This is going to be, we're launching into a series on the universe and, and the sort of culture and everything of Avatar The Last Airbender and just that world that has been established. So yeah, it's just going to be me for, for this week, and we'll, we might have guests on for other episodes, but I'm also going to be going a little bit more freeform, starting from kind of here on out, where it's going to be like, not necessarily each episode is going to be in one larger topic, it'll just kind of be like, kind of whatever I want to talk about, mostly because it's like how I wanted to do the show originally, but yeah, that's kind of how things are going. And other than that, work has been consuming my life. I was almost considering not recording an episode today just because, like, I wanted to stream some more Legends Arceus and, like, get the story done. But I figured I was actually really excited putting together these episode notes. So I was like, you know what, let's just record an episode of the pod and keep things moving along. But other than that, work is just, like, ugh. There's just, like, so much going on, and I would really love to not be the single point person for the uh some of the stuff that i'm facing at work just because like i'm still pretty new to the job i had like started at this place back in the beginning of may last year so it's almost been a year and i'm still kind of getting the hang of things and there's like three sort of major topics that i need to learn and i have completed i think or not completed per se but like i've learned a good amount about like topic one but like topic two and three i still need to learn about and the learning curve is quite steep so it's like been just like taxing trying to know about two like basically you have to know topic one and topic two for this project and i'm still learning topic two and then of course on top of all of that there's business processes and things and it's just difficult to try and get done what i need to get done while also learning things simultaneously and then of course I have a project manager who's just like constantly it feels like she's just constantly on me about deadlines and stuff and I realize that that's her job but also I really wish that there was kind of more grace extended because I don't know I don't really know what I'm doing so yeah that's work and I'm like trying to not think about going back to work tomorrow and by going back to work I mean just signing back on to work but Oh, that's kind of just my every Sunday, every Sunday night. But outside of work, the video game Legends Arceus from Pokemon continues to consume my life. I've logged over 100 hours on that now and mostly just like 
Not That's not even on the story, that's really just like me trying to get all the perfect Pokedex entries, which has been very gratifying for when it does happen, and it gives my, like, each time I play, like, some level of, okay, this is what I'm doing for the time that I'm playing, but it's, yeah, it's been fun, but also, like, I'm in trouble because another game that I'm really excited about comes out this Friday, I'll cover that in the pop culture update section, but yeah, it's, uh... I don't know, I'm tired overall. That's nothing new. It's like another episode of me being tired. Wow. And yeah, I think as as everybody knows or if you're if you're a new listener, this episode or this episode, wow. This entire podcast is completely independent. This is something that I kind of do on the side for fun and to help me with covering costs for hosting the audio file on where you found this, which is right now SoundCloud. I have a Patreon to help defray those costs, and I'll get a little bit more into the Patreon at the end of the episode, but at the top of the episode, I like to do Patreon shoutouts as a nice little thank you for folks who are supporting the podcast. So this week's shoutout goes out to friend of the podcast, Vesper Adelaide. He was on as the guest for last week's episode, talking about the Inyang Master Dreams of Eternity. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, please go do so. It's a lot of fun. Vesper and I have watched this movie like close to 10 times, like in total. So give that a listen and then give the movie a watch. But Vesper, thank you so much for your donation. I really appreciate your support. And also thank you once again for coming on the pod last week. It was a lot of fun talking to you about, wow, last week, uh, (laughs) more like beginning of the month. Thank you for coming on the pod. It was really fun. It's always fun to talk with you about like our favorite media and stuff. So that's Patreon. Let's move into the first segment of the show. This is where I talk about pop culture updates. And right now, the pop culture is covering mostly like movies and video games. But I was talking with another friend of the pod, Josh. He was on an earlier episode talking with me about this boys of media called Heaven's Official Blessing. But they were like, hey, do books count? And I was like, of course, books books fully count as as media. I just haven't really covered books here just because like it's not I guess like not as easily consumable per se as other like as video games or like movies reading obviously takes time but like I think in the future we may have some episodes talking about books from queer authors and stuff so be on the lookout for that but yeah for right now these pop culture updates are are really just going to center mostly on movies and video games and as usual this list is not exhaustive these were just kind of like little things that I picked up on when doing a a quick search for like stuff that's coming out this month and stuff that piqued my interest and stuff that features like, at least with the movies, representation from people of color or other marginalized identities. So yeah, without further ado, let's get into the pop culture updates. So I think actually on my episode with Josh, we talked about this first movie that's coming out, coming out March 2nd, West Side Story. I think this is really mostly bears mentioning just because it's kind of a classic story. It's a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. I haven't seen West Side Story, period. All I know about this is that Ansel Elgort is in it, and I, like, I'm kind of tired of him. (laughs) So that's coming out on March 2nd. If you're curious about the story of West Side Story, please go and take a look at the Wikipedia page. I, I need to do that myself. I didn't put any of that in the show notes for myself so that's on me but also like kind of the movie that I'm not really 
as excited about. The next movie that's coming out on March 4th, which is probably closer to the date of release for this pod, the episode, there are two movies coming out on March 4th. One of them is After Yang or After Yang, and it's a story about a robot android, not not the phone android, a robot android, that starts to malfunction, and the story follows the father of this family as he tries to get it repaired. And the father character is played by Colin Farrell, and the android itself is played by an Asian actor. So that's kind of the main thing that I was wanted to highlight. And I had seen some cool and like good chatter about it online, so I'm like not super worried. But obviously there are some things to be a little wary of here with like like why is an Asian person playing the robot and not like an actual real life person? Just because it's not like a it's not a stereotype per se, but like it never really helps to have an Asian person or like even another person of color playing like a non-human sort of thing. So I'm a little concerned with that, but we'll see. I'm actually pretty excited for this movie. I do want to see it. There are other people of color. The wife and the and the daughter are both people of color. So yeah, this this movie seems pretty interesting. The other movie that's coming out on March 4th is a more limited release. I don't know if After, After Young is a limited release or wide release or not, so you're gonna have to do a little bit of research there. But the other movie that's coming out, I know this one is limited release because it's a foreign film called Great Freedom. Actually, I don't know if it's foreign, but it's a story about a gay German man in post-war Germany who's repeatedly imprisoned for being gay. And over the course of his time, like going to prison again and again, he starts to fall in love with his cellmate or a relationship starts to blossom between him and his cellmate, who is apparently a convicted murderer. And this just kind of like, I don't know, I'm a little skeptical about this story just because like, diversity win the gay character is in love with a criminal like i don't know we don't like need that that's not the story that we need right now i mean it could be an interesting take in that like oh he's like convicted murderer but like he actually didn't do it and he was framed or whatever so that could be like i don't know more maybe a more scathing indictment of like the criminal justice system i don't know but like we'll see i'm not really too impressed by the premise but that's great freedom and after young both of those are on coming out on march 4th and then the week after march 11th there are a couple movies coming out as well there is from disney pixar turning red it's a movie about a chinese american girl who named may who turns into a giant red panda every time she gets emotionally worked up or anything and this movie looks really cute i will say the main (laughs) main sort of thing i'm just annoyed with is basically like every time there's a chinese american girl in a piece of media in popular media or like even a chinese girl it's just like tell me basically my joke my joke about this is always like tell me your favorite chinese heroine and then explain to me why her name is may And, like, I don't remember exactly how prevalent this, like, name is in tropes and whatever, but, like, there's Mei in Totoro, the little sister. There's a Mei in Overwatch as a playable character. There's going to be Mei here in Turning Red. I just, like, I don't know. Let's let's branch out a little bit. Like, 
I understand that this is probably because they're like, oh, we're like choosing the name to mean like beautiful, because like Mei is one of many Chinese words for beautiful. But I'm also just like, there are so many other names that we could use, or like, I mean, even it does like it doesn't even have to be that. Like, it could have been like, hey, this is a story about this Chinese American girl named Jenny. I don't know. Like, you know, it doesn't just have to be Mei. It it it's once again just like. I'm sure this is going to be a really cute movie, but also, like, Chinese people are more than just, like, women and girls named Mei. Like, it's it's just, like, there's a flattening going on, and I don't like it, and I really, like, it may not be intentional, but also at some point, intentions don't matter, because, like, the impact is people who are not Chinese are seeing this, and they're just like, wow, that's goofy, like, another Chinese girl named Mei, I bet they're all named Mei, and then that just perpetuates just a, a stupid and, like, dumb stereotype that obviously we do not need to perpetuate, because, yeah, that's, I mean, like, bottom line, it's racist, I'm not gonna say that this movie is racist, but I'm just saying it's falling into a pattern of that, which I'm not too thrilled about, still probably gonna see it, because, like I said, it does look really cute, and I do like the overall, like, I think the theme is gonna be, like, looking at emotional maturity and how do you get in touch with what you're feeling because I do think that is something that's important even to definitely important to talk about with kids and then also very important to talk about as an adult because like I do think that more people need to be in therapy and like need to understand like what they're feeling and how their feelings are making them respond and interact with other people so yeah that's <laughs> that was my, my quite frankly my too long diatribe on turning red which i'm still going to see it is coming out on march 11th i'm not sure if that's theaters only or if it's going to be a disney plus simultaneously but that is coming out on march 11th also coming out on march 11th is a supernatural thriller film called outsiders this movie is featuring a black main character played by skylin brooks where basically the main character goes to a party and then after the party this one girl disappears and the setting is a small southern town so probably predominantly white and people are just like <gasps> the black kid did it and so the main character has to basically work to clear his name and in the process of like trying to clear his name and like find out what happened to his classmate there's some other stuff that pops up so which what i thought initially was like a murder mystery but actually it is categorized as a supernatural thriller so that one seems like it could be really interesting so that is everything coming out on march 11th march 18th another couple movies coming out first one of note is amma this is featuring sandra oh uh, and the story follows a korean american woman or i think maybe korean immigrant who lives on a farm somewhere in america uh, with her daughter and then the remains of her mother are sent over from korea and then the main character played by sandra oh is very concerned that she might turn literally turn into her mother when i was reading the description of this movie the description was like she's afraid of turning into her mother and i was like oh you know like basically the whole age-old sort of trope of like oh i don't want to like turn into my parents but i think this is like literally turning into her your parents because this movie is categorized as a horror film um I, if i remember correctly so that seems really interesting that's umma spelled u-m-m-a coming out on 
March 18th. Also coming out on March 18th is the movie Alice, featuring Kiki Palmer as the titular Alice. She portrays an enslaved person on a rural Georgia plantation under characteristically brutal and disturbed plantation owner and then she escapes from the plantation but then finds out that it's actually 1973 so i'm like not exactly sure if this is like historical fiction or like sci-fi time travel stuff or like if it's like you know she was in a bad cult where because she was black she was like enslaved we'll see i don't know but then she's rescued by a political activist played by common and then alice learns about the concept of black liberation and everything and it's a story tracing her journey through the post-civil rights era american south i am a little worried about this movie just because like the not sure exactly where it's going but i'm also excited i i think from what i remember about Kiki Palmer is like she generally has pretty good takes and whatever so I would hope and assume that she's in a movie that is you know good and explores interesting concepts and themes so yeah that's that's Alice coming out on March 18th and then the final movie to cover which I am super excited about comes out at the end of March March 25th called Everything Everywhere All at Once it's a movie featuring Michelle Yeoh as the main character and is this is sort of like a what I think the director and like the people talking about it on Twitter, have characterized as a sci-fi kung fu movie. So Michelle Yeoh's character, basically like the entire cast of characters, everything takes place in like one universe, but this this movie relies heavily on the concept of like a multiverse. So Michelle Yeoh's character in, let's say, just like, like the main universe, basically as she tries to figure out what's going on, she leverages all of the abilities that her other universe counterparts have so i think like for me the most memorable scene was like there's a universe in which like michelle leo's character is a one of those like sign twirlers those people who like stand on the road and they like have signs and they you know they move them and they they're advertising for a place but she she takes that skill and uses it to like use a riot shield to protect herself and also like defend like defend herself against in like counter basically just counterattack people who are attacking her so it's like that sort of thing and i'm really excited it looks really really cool it looks also equal parts very goofy because like there is one part where like this one person's head in the trailer at least like this one person's head like explodes into confetti and and it's not gory or anything it's literally just like he like somebody like pressed a button and then the head is gone and just poofs into confetti and it's quite funny so yeah i'm really really excited for that that comes out on march 25th i hope it's a wide release so that way i can find somewhere to watch it the main issue that i've found with like movies that are like limited releases just like oh shit where am i gonna be able to see this though i think sometimes with the limited release movies they end up coming out like as a wide release later i believe that's what like parasite did but i really don't remember because that was pre-pandemic and all that time just sort of like blends together in my head so yeah that's all the movies that i had to talk about moving on to video games the first and first and for first actually even chronologically too thing i'm excited about is tuesday march 1st there's so i play this video game called valorant it's a tactical first person shooter and there is a like a whole host of diverse characters and one of the characters is a japanese gang member uh, his name is yoru and 
he was supposed to be like this really tricky character and like really like I think that the thing with tactical shooters is sometimes it's a lot of mind games but like his character was supposed to like be super heavy on the mind games and like a lot of Valorant relies on like audio so like you can hear people's footsteps if they're like running and everything so Yoru is getting a rework and it's pretty major and I think it's gonna like be hugely game-changing um so I'm really excited for how that goes and i'm really excited to give it a try so that's coming out march 1st also coming out march 1st is a game called far changing tides and it's an, an action adventure puzzle platformer about a boy and a boat i saw this on the indie showcase it looked really cute i don't know if i'm gonna get it but like i figured it was worth mentioning that was kind of like so somewhat of the theme for some of these it's like i don't know if i'm gonna get it but i think it's worth mentioning so that's March 1st. The thing that I mentioned earlier in the episode that I'm in trouble for, March 4th is when Triangle Strategy comes out. I kind of lost track of time. I thought I was going to have more time to finish Legends Arceus before Triangle Strategy came out, but that's clearly not the case because I'm like, I think I'm probably four, uh, like, I don't actually know how close I am to the end of Legends Arceus, but I'm like, I've just unlocked the last area. I don't know if there's like more to happen after that. But yeah, I'm like 100 hours deep into Legends Arceus and like I'm not done yet. And Triangle Strategy is coming out on March 4th and definitely going to stream that. It's a tactical RPG game, turn-based strategy. If you remember anything from like or I guess if you played anything like Final Fantasy Tactics Advance or like Fire Emblem or something, it's sort of like that same grid-based turn-based strategy game, but it's a lot more like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance in that it's the maps have like elevation and stuff. The art style is very similar to Octopath Traveler. The, all the characters are sprite art and everything and they're 2D, but they take place in like a 3D background. So it looks really, really cool. And I think I might've mentioned earlier, like it, this game is very like choice-based and a lot of the choices have like very far reaching and heavy consequences. So it's very hard to like decide what's best to do, especially since like the game, the premise of the game is that it's like in, it's political, there's a political struggle. So for example, like one of the other choices, like I mentioned a choice before, but like one of the other really heavy choices is like, do you accept the aid of a, another country to like help turn the tide in terms of military might and you think that would be like an easy yes no but that comes at the price of sacrificing the liberty of a certain like group of people within your empire so like that I think for some people it might be a little bit clear because it's just like oh yeah of course like if this was if this was real life I'd be like no, I'm not going to sacrifice, like, I'm not going to sacrifice people to, just to get those resources, because, like, that, I don't, like, you know, we don't want to perpetuate systems of oppression and, like, colonialism and, like, white privilege and stuff, because, like, that whole concept is, like, very reminiscent of just, like, yeah, sure, you know, like, basically just, like, shafting a bunch of, like, a group of people to get what you need. So, like, in that sense, it's it's a quote unquote like it's an easy decision. If you are like super, well, I guess even if you're super immersed in the game and you're just like I'm like a ruler trying to make these complex decisions, maybe it's a little bit dif more difficult. But yeah, it's like those sorts of like really heavy decisions, and that can actually change who like 
comes and goes from your party and i think there are like they're not like hard and fast routes to find but like there are different turning points in the story and like i think even like main characters can choose to leave your party if you decide one way or the other so that's like a very interesting game it has lots of replay value probably going to sink a ton of hours into that as well but yeah that's triangle strategy that's coming out on march 4th next on the list is chocobo gp or which i'm pretty sure that stands for grand prix that comes out on march 10th i guess final fantasy decided we want in on the racing game franchise or like the racing game genre and what better way to do that than with giant birds so that's chocobo gp i don't really have anything to say about that because like i i personally am not interested in it but i'm sure some of some people are and it looks kind of goofy but then again i've never been one for racing games so after that there is tunic coming out on march 16th this one actually caught my eye because i pre-ordered or i think i like signed up to be on the waitlist or something on steam for this game like years ago i think probably back in like late 2015 or early 2016 or something like that but i've been waiting for this game for years it's a little rpg game where you play as it's like an adventure rpg 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 game um, where you play as a little fox and it looks just super cute i don't know if there are any trailers out yet but yeah i've been waiting for this game for a really long time and i'm excited that it's finally coming out that's march 16th tunic and then march 17th is persona 4 arena ultimax it's a 2d fighter game for fans of the persona franchise on the 22nd of March is Rune Factory 5. I only heard about this on Twitter from like a couple of voice actors that I follow, but you can, I'm not really too familiar with the Rune Factory franchise, but apparently it's like a tame and farm monster sort of thing. So that's coming out on March 22nd. Another game I am excited for is Kirby and the Forgotten Land coming out on March 25th. I think I already blabbed about this on another a previous episode, but I played another, I played a different Kirby game and had a lot of fun. So this is coming out on March 25th and is, I think the, I don't want to, never mind. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make any statements just because I don't go to the Kirby fandom. I'm like, I'll say something and then it'll turn out that I'm completely false. So yeah, Kirby's coming out on March 25th. And then the last title to highlight is Marvel Midnight Suns. The date is actually TBA, but this is a tactical fighting game. And I took a look at at least like the description and it seems pretty cool. I'm like just imagining like a tactical turn-based strategy, but with Marvel characters and like it could be cool. I'm curious. And then of course, the thing that happened today at 9 a.m. Eastern time, there is a Pokemon Direct. Generation 9 got announced. I don't know if Game Freak really should be announcing Gen 9 because like Gen 8 in my opinion, had a lot of problems. That's another episode on its own, but the starters and everything were released today. There's not really any sort of, like, gameplay announcements or anything, but Gen 9 was announced, and at least the the clips they showed looks like they're leaning heavily on the Legends Arceus, like, engine, so it seems like it could be cool, but we'll see. We'll see. I don't, I don't really know how this is going to go, but yeah, so that is... All the pop culture updates, wow, this is a really heavy first segment, and by heavy, I don't mean, like, emotion-wise, I mean just this thing is longer than I think I've ever had an opening segment, so I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with the main content. And we're back from the break. So... As I might have mentioned before, the podcast is now moving to covering 
the series of Avatar The Last Airbender and the universe associated with it, as proposed by one of the uh, Tier 3 Patreon followers. So I figured what better way to start than by talking about the history and conception of Avatar, as well as sort of like the tenets of the universe. So this episode might actually end up being a little bit shorter than normal, just because of, you know, there's not really too much of a conversation to be had. This is just sort of like getting into the building blocks of this world and the real life inspiration that was used to to make them and everything. This is a lot more like just facts than opinions. So yeah, this avatar was created by two white guys. I forgot their first names, but there's Konietzko and DiMartino. And according to Konietzko, the series was conceived in early 2001 when he took an old sketch of a balding middle-aged man and imagined the man as a child. He then drew the character herding bison in the sky and showed the sketch to DiMartino, who is watching a documentary about explorers trapped at the South Pole. Konietzko described the early development of the concept as, there's an air guy along with these water people trapped in a snowy wasteland and maybe some fire people are pressing down on them. And so that's sort of like, you know, that's the outline of literally the first episode and it was introduced to the public in a teaser reel at comic-con in 2004 and the series premiered in 2005 this series apparently this was like really inspired not only by what i mentioned before but also the creators were interested in other like really big lore titles they use the term legends and lore so this is like the worlds of harry potter and lords of the lords of the ring lord of the rings where they're like these really big complex worlds that are built and to be explored and they wanted to take a different approach to that genre and so according to them this is a quote like directly from the wikipedia page our love for japanese anime hong kong action and kung fu cinema yoga and eastern philosophies led us to the initial inspiration for avatar the last airbender so like with all of this like they managed to the the really impressive thing to me is that they managed to actually create a world that doesn't feel like too crummy like i feel like the i know when i read the the thing of like oh we were inspired by our love for anime kung fu cinema and eastern philosophies i'm just like ugh, like that that is just like literally as an asian person is like so many red flags like just taking all these things and you're like we really love them and now we're gonna do our own take and just like do we have to do our own take of these things that are already like established like I understand that's how like innovation and media happens but like sometimes like especially I think what I'm getting at here is like a lot of the way that this is framed really feels like the beginnings of appropriation right because like a lot of the time when stuff is being appropriated whether it be from asian culture or really from anything else it's people outside that culture being like we love this so much that we want to like do our own spin on it and there are ways to do this respectfully and then there are also obviously like doing things respectfully is much more difficult because it requires a lot of research and a lot of just like touch points with the culture itself to make sure that you're like it's very clear that it's that it the final product is inspired respectfully from that culture so like an example of that where like things go wrong obviously is like 
As I talked about in the very first episode of this podcast, Shang-Chi was based on cultural stereotypes, and there was no research done. It was just like, oh, like, there's this Asian-American superhero, but, like, his quote-unquote superpower is, like, he can do kung fu. And, like, this is my main beef with, like, most Asian-American superheroes that have been created is, like, nobody really has a superpower. People are just, like, martial artists, and they're, like, really good at it. And that's cool, but also, like, it's not a superpower. Like, whereas you get, like, other characters where they're, like, their their power isn't necessarily, like, oh, you can fight well, but it's, like, actual, like, superhuman strength or, like, telekinesis or, like, flight or, you know, there's so many other things. So... It's very easy to appropriate and just be like, oh, this seems like what this culture does, and, like, you just scratch the surface of it. And, like, you know, I think more recently, and by recently I really mean just, like, from last year's, like, the white person who decided to start a company founded on the basis of this, like, Asian rice porridge dish called congee, she was just like, oh, we're elevating it to the Western palate. And it's like, look, we didn't need help elevating this to the Western palate. The Western palate actually needs to keep up. The Western palate needs to actually elevate itself to the tastes and, like, understanding of, like, how, not necessarily how, like, what kanji is, but, like, you know, this thing existed before, and it didn't need to be taken and, like, bastardized, because they were just like, let's put blueberries in kanji, and, like, kanji is kind of, like, a vehicle to eat leftovers, like, very traditionally. It's, like, it's it's stewed rice sometimes like i know i've had it at like dim sum and there's like actual like different things in it and stuff and so like it is its own thing and it doesn't need to be like we don't need this whole thing to be like oh we were inspired by our love of kanji to like make it better because like it doesn't need to be made better like it's already good as it is so yeah it's just interesting how like this all starts in a way like the conception of avatar and like how this all started, right? It just seems like, ooh, that seems like a perfect recipe for, like, disaster and just, like, a really bad series. Like, I know if I, like I said, if I heard that from somebody, I'd be like, ooh, I think you might want to, um, maybe pump the brakes a little bit and, like, and talk to an Asian person and, like, get their thoughts on this and, like, better yet, talk to, like, at least three Asian people to get, like, their perspectives. And thankfully, that is what the creators of the Avatar universe did. They brought in a lot of different cultural consultants. There was Edwin Zane and Siu Leung Lee. Both of those folks are the cultural consultants for the show. They also had a martial arts consultant who was used to create the bending styles, which is the sort of, like, not necessarily superpower in this universe, but basically basically, like, a cultural fixture for each of the four nations in the Avatar universe are based on the ability to bend an element, whether that be fire, earth, water, or air, and these forms are all based on actual Chinese martial arts, so, like, they, they did bring in a, a martial arts consultant in that personalization as well, and also, like, the music seems pretty good, too. It's not, like, too tropey, and, like, Though, uh, and though this music, like, the music was created by two white dudes, Jeremy Zuckerman and Benjamin Wynn, and I will say, like, this is a an interesting topic that, like, maybe one day I'll get into a little bit deeper, but, like, the music seems good, but then also there, I feel like, are very heavy, like, Asian elements that were 
brought in actually quite well, and so like not to the point where it feels like too tropey, because like I I feel like sometimes when you're analyzing art or like you're analyzing things like from a culture, you can you're just like oh it like boils down to like X Y and Z component, and then like you take those things and then you try and replicate them and. Sure, it might sound like it's from that culture, but it also, like, is very heavily tropey. Like, and this is especially the case for music. So, like, the two two sort of major examples that I've got of this for music, the first one, which is a little bit more accessible for the general audience, is, like, for Jewish music. The Jewish scale, or, like, the, this, uh, or I guess, like, the stereotypical, quote-unquote, Jewish music scale has, is a little bit different from, like, European-centric, like, music, the, the European music system. If you think about songs from, like, uh, what's that... <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof. There, the musical system like focuses on a lot of. Now this is where I'm gonna get a little technical, but like the music focuses a lot on like half steps and like it's it's overall just a different, it's slightly different music system. It's not the same sort of scale that we're accustomed to hearing in current music as well as just like the rest of like European Western European traditional music um, and so when the music for Fiddler on the Roof was written those particular elements were taken and like replicated and ultimately assembled into the songs in Fiddler on the Roof that have this sort of like the Jewish folk music sound. How authentic is it? I don't know, obviously, because I'm not Jewish, um, and I don't, like, have that connection to that sort of, like, cultural touch point, but, like, the other thing that I can think of more, and, like, I think this also might be pretty, like, a little bit more accessible, too, for folks, is, like, a lot of the iconic, like, Spanish music or, like, what you think of when you think of Spanish music. For example, like, the Carmen Suites. Carmen, both Carmen Suites were written by a French composer, Georges Bizet, and there are a lot of musical motifs that pop up here and there that were used to evoke Spanish flair and, like, culture. So, is the Carmen fantasy, like, quote-unquote, authentically Spanish? Like, really no because like you know it's written by a french person and but also that's that's kind of like what i'm getting at here and it's also like i guess another thing you can think of is like that that sort of like sting you think of that shows try and like put in when they're just like oh we're talking about like ancient egypt and then and then you've got like you probably have that little snippet of music going in your head right now and that is is that actually Egyptian? You know, probably not. So, like, this this whole, like, concept of, like, it's not racist per se. It's, like, this really interesting way of, like, taking, like, the packaging of, or, like, taking, like, bits and pieces of, like, the original element of, like, the music from a culture and then just, like, really just kind of, like, being, like, we're gonna do that, but, like, 10 times more obvious and then it ends up sounding like it is evoking the culture so like depending on the piece of media it works but yeah that's that's also something interesting where like none of the music for avatar was actually composed by an asian person like using that sound and i think it would have been really interesting especially given that as i'll talk about later 
there are a ton of different cultures represented in Avatar, and they're not just Asian, or, like, not just, like, stereotypical, like, East Asian cultures that are portrayed. So that was, that was a long tangent on the music and everything, but I think that is important to note, like, when building this world and just, like, thinking about all the music that gets, like, put in as the background to, like, build the atmosphere, right? It's, it's very interesting that those elements they're taken and like developed by by white composers and like the whole white composer thing isn't like new like the music for Shang-Chi was composed by a white dude and like Shang-Chi's theme has lots of like Asian elements like from the drums to like a lot of just like how the the scale at like or like the music system once again like it is distinctly Chinese. I'm very surprised that they didn't use, like, more Chinese instruments in it, like a pipa or, like, arhu. But, like, yeah, it, like, this isn't new, and I really do kind of wish, like, we could see, like, okay, let's take, let's give a composer of color from that particular culture, like, a chance to, like, spread their wings, right, and, like, show us what a sort of, like, more, not necessarily more authentic, but, like, to let us tell our own stories and use our own voices through stuff, not only just, like, visually repre- visual representation, but also just, like, literally every everything else. So that that is really too long of a spiel on the music and everything. But once again, Avatar is, like, very... is towing the line constantly between appreciation and appropriation. And I will say, I think, for the most part, the appreciation shines through the most. There are some parts where I do think, like, they could have either consulted more or they really shouldn't have done. And, like, the things that I feel, like, are disrespectful the most are, like, and I'll get into this a little bit later as well, but, like, each of the four nations is is kind of, like, they have direct mappings to real-life people. So... The Water Tribe and the Air Nomads have a little bit more of a direct mapping to, like, one group of people in the actual, you know, in, like, the actual world, but, like, the Earth Kingdom and the Fire Nation are both kind of just, like, a mishmash of just, like, China, Japan, and Korea, just, like, everything together, and it just, like, these cultures are very different from each other, and also, like, both China and South Korea have, like, really big beef with Japan for what Japan has done in the past, like, during world, like, the World War II era, so it just feels disrespectful to, like, combine all three of these, like, very distinct cultures into just, like, this mishmash of, like, whatever, and, and be like, oh, we didn't want to, like, make any, like, I understand that, like, obviously in, the in Avatar the Last Airbender, the Fire Nation, like there's a lot of imperialism and everything involved in that. And honestly, like if they wanted to say this is just straight up Japan, like uh, would probably be fine because it's like, hey, like Japan actually did that. That was not necessarily the whole basis for World War II, but it was how they operated throughout World War II. But yeah, it just like feels really disrespectful to be like, so the Water Tribe is like this sort of people, this this culture and the air nomads are this culture, but then Earth Kingdom and Fire Nation, eh, they're like everything. Like, they're like all of East Asia. And it's also just weird because, like, 
you have all that and then like at least in the ember island episode this is like a very very specific cut to the ember island episode it always was actually only recently like I saw this and learned about it, but like a lot of the architecture and everything on Ember Island is actually from Thai culture. So like, it's cool that the showrunners were like, hey, this is supposed to be like a, a vacation place and whatever. So let's like put stuff that looks a little bit different, but also, I don't know, that just feels kind of weird to me too. Cause then like, it's just like, oh, like Thailand and like other Southeast Asian cultures are like not quote unquote real. Cause like, I don't know, you think of, like, all of the really gimmicky island sort of vibes and, like, culture, and, like, not even culture, but, like, island, yeah, it's mostly just, like, island vibes and, like, quote-unquote island decor that, like, people have, so, like, you, like, I'm thinking, like, a very, very, like, white person tiki shit. Some of that, yes, is based in, like, actual tiki, which is from Polynesian cultures, but, like, like, it doesn't have any of the importance or the meaning attached to it anymore. It's just, like, we're trying to give you, like, tropical island vibes. And, like, that sort of, like, disrespect, just or, like, that sort of handling is just, like, we're not taking this seriously. For, like, the in-universe, the in-Avatar universe depiction of, like, Thai culture and, like, architecture, like, it's not just a vacation. People live there, and Thai culture is real and authentic, and, and, you know, it is worthy of respect, just like any other culture in the world. So, yeah, like, I just feel like this sort of thing only, like, you'd really only notice if you're Asian, because, like, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, Asian is such a huge monolith that is used to encompass, like, for the most part, I think, like, people are like, oh, you're Asian, and they really think about East Asian, but, like, Asia is huge. We have, like, you know, there's Siberia, and then, like, there are, there are people who look East Asian, and they are technically actually Russian, because they, they are, you know, they are in Russia, but, like, they're, they look East Asian, and you also have Central Asia and South Asia, Southeast Asia, and you know that's not even getting into like the Pacific Islander umbrella. Like there's, there are so many cultures, so many distinct cultures that each have their own like language and food and customs and everything, and like it's cool. Like I think the Asian American experience is one of like yes, we put aside our differences and we come together as like a united front, but we also really look at those differences and honor them and find beauty in them. Like I think so for example, I'm half Chinese and half Japanese. Well, it's technically half Taiwanese and half Japanese. And like there are huge differences between cultures and customs between my two heritages, but like I really it's really cool. It's been really really cool and it will continue to be really awesome to like learn about my heritage not only in like context of like the parent country but also like just the experiences here and like i'm because like right now i'm just thinking off off the dome like the japanese american concentration camp experience during world war ii like that didn't happen to any other asian group like was it un, like was it extended to chinese americans unfortunately yes because like 
unless you're really familiar like i myself can't tell just by looking like oh that person is like chinese or japanese or korean or whatever but like you know i think that is also on the whole like generally people can't tell that difference and so a lot of chinese americans during world war ii actually wore patches on their shirt that said i am, am chinese to so that way they wouldn't be rounded up and sent to the japanese american concentration camps so it's all of these cultures are so different and it just like overall just feels really bad to just get lumped together and it's just like you're all the same like there's no difference between you and it's just ultimately disrespectful so that's i think somewhere where they could have done a lot better i do think that overall the product is fine but that is certainly something that i think of like when i'm just like thinking about some of the character names and just like the cultural aspects of everything and then like also how all the characters like the characters have their names throughout the series at certain points are actually like written out using Chinese characters and that's cool but also I feel like gets into a little bit of exoticism because like really I think the the one thing the one thing that actually like is really strange to me that the universe never really talks about is like these are four very distinct cultures and even between like the water tribe and the air nomads like each of those cultural enclaves are so far apart that like the culture of all each of those locations is so different from each other i'm surprised that they all have a common language like i know that was mostly just for like narrative sake because it would be difficult to be like oh yeah like we have four different nations and like four different languages and like nobody can communicate right that would be that'd be difficult i think it'd be better world building but i understand for a kids show that's that's a little difficult so they're just like we're gonna have everybody speak the speak their own language but like yeah it just i think it would have been cool to actually like dive a little deeper and i think I don't know if that decision was made purely because this was a kid's show or if that was just a detail that was completely overlooked because there are just so many different cultures that are uh, that are represented and if naming conventions actually followed the cultural norms that were that come from each of the source cultures you wouldn't actually have some of those those names like Zuko sounds Japanese because it follows more or less like the same like system for Japanese phonetics. Azula is not, Azula does not, Azulong does not either, Sozin kind of does, Ursa 100% does not. So that's just like a small crash course of just like okay well we're taking from these source cultures but like and we're ultimately like making our own thing so like maybe it doesn't really matter but like yeah i think it just could have added some more richness of if it was just like wow there's actually like all this other there's like this to me at least it's just like this whole other dimension that could have been explored of like wow there are four distinct cultures and they each have their own language and i think it would have been really cool like interaction to also include Okay, so that's that's the history of the series, and then in terms of like just exploring more of the sort of like backdrop and everything for all of the cultures, the four major cultures that are shown in Avatar. Um, so I'll start with F the Fire Nation. The Fire Nation is loosely based on just like East Asia in general, as I mentioned before, with with some hints of Southeast Asia appearing in the background. 
and I think really this most mirrors Japan just because of the imperialism from that is like put forth from the Fire Nation and its militarism. This was very much the case for Japan during World War II. Japan was trying to very much to be like the United States. So this is very much a read on the US, like militaristic, imperialistic, colonialistic, just like, you know, they're focused on expanding territory and conquering. And this is very much the case uh, for Japan in World War II, taking control of a lot of islands in the Pacific, and as well as like even moving into parts of China and everything. So honestly, if it were me, I'd be like, you know what, let's just map this directly to Japan and we'll just leave it at that. Instead of just being like, this is all of East Asia, because like I said before, Chinese, Japanese, and Korean cultures are very different. And even like, those are the three main ones that people think of when they think of East Asia. Well, I mean, those are the East Asian cultures, but like, even though there's only three, there are so many differences between the three. And I really do wish that this show had like, honored those differences a little bit more. And then the bending art that is found predominantly in the Fire Nation is firebending, and this is based on Northern Shaolin style, and this sort of group is called Beipai, which is just like Northern style, and this martial arts form is very dynamic and aggressive, and a lot of the forms are very fluid, and they're able to change direction of where force goes. And the main difference between Northern Shaolin and Southern Shaolin is the focus on legwork, kicking, and acrobatics. So Northern, sorry, Northern Shaolin focuses more on on legwork, kicking, and acrobatics. And to me, this seems like a pretty apt choice, because just because it's like very evocative of fire being forceful, but also like really graceful and acrobatic. Like you think of like flames, like flickering and everything. That's kind of like acrobatic and everything. And also, it's really cool because I, if you've listened to the episode where I talked about the martial arts in Shang Chi, this is very akin to the martial arts style that Wen Wu used and that Shang Chi or Shan grows up learning how to use. It's very like Northern Shaolin is very aggressive, very forceful. And as we see in Avatar the Last Airbender, at least this this portion of that universe is like history or like I guess time period or whatever a lot of firebendings I guess fuel is like anger and toxic like not necessarily toxicity but it's just like a lot of anger and aggression which is interesting because like I feel like most of the most of the time with like Asian martial arts the focus isn't necessarily on like oh I'm getting anger out or like I'm being aggressive. It's a lot about control and learning about your body and your mind and how they interact, which I think we end up seeing over the course of the last season of Avatar The Last Airbender, where after Zuko joins the gang, he can't firebend because he's no longer as angry and doesn't have a, as much aggression. And then this is, I think, like the thing that Iroh is trying to emphasize, just like, hey, this is like, we need to break the cycle of, of violence and aggression. So I think there's a lot to be said for like also what firebending stands for. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's 
yeah, that, that is firebending. So then onto the Earth Kingdom. This is also loosely based on East Asia as well, though this seems to be a little bit more rooted in Chinese culture. So for example, Ba Sing Se is like based on the Forbidden City in Beijing, and the walls of Ba Sing Se are based on the Great Wall of China. And also to what I was saying before about like language and stuff, a lot of the names in the Earth Kingdom, like for example, Ba Sing Se, like those sounds and like those phonetics all sort of like work with actual Chinese, whether that be Mandarin or another dialect. Like Mandarin doesn't have the, wouldn't, we wouldn't, there wouldn't be Sing, it would probably be like Sing. So if you're wondering about the pinyin, it's like X-I-N-G instead of S-I-N-G. So yeah, there's lots of lots of parallels to Chinese culture in the Earth Kingdom. And although, <laughs> as I said before, there's just like this weird mishmash of like all the East Asian cultures with the Fire Nation in the Earth Kingdom. Because like Omashu, that... <sighs> I remember there was like an episode about like about this founding and like they actually had the Chinese characters for Omashu written out so like technically I guess like Omashu's a valid like is like a, a valid set of sounds in Chinese it's just like not ones that I would have thought to put together but yeah, I'd have to like look at the Chinese characters again. I mean, this is also like a testament to the cultural consulting, like because Chinese has so many different characters, but also like a, a very a, like a finite number of sounds. So basically, like for so for omashu, technically it's like three character, three sounds. So omashu, those three syllables, and each of those syllables has like a, a plethora of characters that could be used for any of those pronunciations. And so like it takes a lot of it takes a lot of time and skill and insight to like choose the characters for those sounds that also have like a good meaning instead of being like something nonsensical. So. Yeah, I, I do wish that, once again, do wish that, like, the culture, like, the the parent cultures for the Earth Kingdom and the Fire Nation were teased out a little bit more, but for the most part, like, the Earth Kingdom seems to be a little bit more, or a little bit less, like, kind of an egregious, not even egregious, like, less sort of noticeable sort of, um, like, deviation from the real-life culture itself. And then, of course, the bending art for the Earth Kingdom is earthbending. This is based on the southern Chinese martial art style called Hongar. This is due to firmly, uh, this, the inspiration was Hongar's firmly rooted stances. And when actually doing some research into Hongar, I learned that students who learn this martial art actually spend the first three years learning stances before they actually like go into any learning like actually any forms and anything any other forms and like actual like footwork and everything. It's it's all about learning stances and like being steady and firm firmly rooted. And then also of note is Toff's style of earth bending and she does not actually use the same form as traditional earthbending, so she doesn't use Hungar, she uses the Southern Mantis style, which originates with the Hakka people. This is, once again, another Southern Chinese martial arts style, but 
instead of it's a little bit more dynamic than Hungar, but also this form focuses mostly on the feet keeping the practitioner balanced and never vulnerable, which like is very, very, you know, true to Toph's <laughs> is very true to Toph's character. And metal bending actually is also based on the Southern Mantis style, which probably expl- like which is really cool that they uh, this sort of like nuance was taken and included in in the universe. And once again, like kudos to the cultural consultants and like the martial arts consultants. Like they did a lot of heavy lifting and are not getting credited enough for it because overall this show, like the universe is so good. And now with the other form of earth bending that shows up later in Legend of Korra, lava bending does not actually have any form differences from Hungar. Lava bending is just like it's it's the same as Hungar, it's just like you kind of change the earthbenders like change the the phase that the earth is in from solid to liquid. So that is Fire Nation and Earth Kingdom. And then moving on to I guess the more like spiritual nations, you've got the water tribes, southern and northern water tribes, um, and these people are loosely based on the Inuit and the Cyrenic. So the Inuit are the are natives of the northern Canadian regions, and then Serenic are also like one of the Arctic peoples, but Arctic native peoples, but in Russia or like Siberia, that sort of location. And so, like, I obviously can't speak as much to this just because, like, I don't have any connection to those cultures. But, like, it was really cool to to also see that included in this universe because, like, it very well, like, this universe could have definitely just been, like, okay, we're going to take the big three East Asian cultures and then, like, something else. So it is really cool that they included Native peoples, and I really do wish that more Native uh, and ho- maybe maybe there were in the cultural consulting like mo- maybe the cultural consultants actually like reached out to native folks more but like i i think it would have been better to have the like someone from the inuit people and a serenic person actually like speak to the representation of their culture because obviously when culture is like expressed in an appreciative and respectful manner, it goes like so far. The best, the, the example I always point to is Frozen 2 and how the Sami people were depicted in that movie. And I'm not gonna get too much more into that. I'm already, like this episode is already super long and we're gonna, I'm probably gonna do an episode on Frozen 2 at some point anyways. And then the bending art for the water tribes is water bending. And there are three different types of wander bending. There's the combative, the healing, and blood bending. I didn't do quite as much research into forms and everything for the healing arts, but it didn't really look like healing had a specific tie to any like martial art. It was just like you put your hands over the place and you've got some water and you like do stuff. And it was sort of more like internal sort of thing. And as far as like combative water bending, that is based on which is actually is it's technically another martial art, but an interesting thing that I learned about Chinese martial arts when doing the research for this is that there are two different schools, like two different major branches of martial arts. So there's Nietzsche, which really literally means like internal 
or like internal house, but basically Nejia stuff like focuses more on your relationship with your body and your breath, and it's like more more of a spiritual aspect. Yeah, just like focuses on like harmony with your body and just like focusing on yeah, just like as as I said before, just internal aspects as compared to the other two martial arts that I had mentioned before, the Northern Shaolin style as well as Hungar. Those are called Waigong, which is literally translates to external exercise. But the focus for Waigong is like a more traditional martial art where like you're using your body as a weapon. Whereas Nejia, like the the Nejia arts it's not necessarily used for combat. So it's really cool that both waterbending and airbending are based on Nezia martial arts. So for waterbending, Tajitian was chosen for the body structure and movement, as well as like its focus on breath and just like the visualization of water moving during Tajitian forms. As for bloodbending, bloodbending is kind of the opposite. I didn't I didn't do any like rewatching or anything but bloodbending a lot of the forms are a lot more jerky and they're they're more like marionette sort of gestures like someone controlling a puppet and i'm not really sure if there's a <laughs> i don't think there's a martial arts form associated with this i think it's like some of it is just like based on tai chi tuan but like some modifications so it's a little just you know a little bit jerkier so that is waterbending and and the water tribe culture. Um, as I mentioned before, I think it would have been really, really cool to have the water tribes speak more or less the same language, but like different dialects that are like, for the most part, intelligible, like mutually intelligible, but also like they've got their own sort of unique things. Maybe even to the point of like Mandarin and Cantonese, where like, okay, so for the folks who don't have any command of Mandarin or Cantonese, like, they're not completely unintelligible. Like, if I, like, I as a, for me, I only know Mandarin, so I can't, like, unless I see the Cantonese, like, written out, I don't think I can put everything together, but I think people who speak Cantonese can actually listen to someone speaking Mandarin and, like, put it together. And I also think that's because, like, Cantonese, while it's an official language of China, like, Mandarin is really the official, like, is the, the central official language of China, and so a lot of Cantonese speakers learn both Cantonese at home as well as Mandarin, and so, like, I think there's a little bit more navigation there, but I think, yeah, it, like, would have been really cool to have that touch where, like, maybe... Katara and Sokka, like, say something to Paku, and, like, Paku's just like, wait, what? I understood most of that, but, like, what was that thing that you said? You know, I think that would have been, like, an even cooler concept and dialogue to happen in, in this world building. So that is water the Water Tribes, and then moving on to the final major group of people, the Air Nomads. The Air Nomads were loosely based on Tibetan monks, so this is Tibet is the westernmost region of China, also known as the Xinjiang Autonomous Region. It's where a lot of the issues with like the Uyghurs and everything is is not necessarily based, but like that's sort of the area of the world that it's happening in. And I think it's really, really cool that they included this sort of cultural area in the world of Avatar because Central Asia is this really, really interesting, like 
intersection of all these different cultures. Like I've had, there's this one, I think it's a Kazakhstani restaurant by me. And like I've eaten there a couple times and it's this really, really cool blend of like, you've got influence from the Mediterranean, you've got influence from Russia, you've got influence from India, you've got influence from China, obviously. It's such a cool place, and, like, I think Central Asia gets, like, forgotten a lot. And it's also just, like, thinking about the Uyghurs and everything. Like, it's also a really cool melting pot of, like, religion and everything. Like, there are Muslim people, and and in addition to the other sort of religions, I think Buddhism is, like, the official religion of China. Don't quote me on that. I did not do my research for this part, but, like, yeah, Western Asia is just, like, such a cool melting pot of, like, cuisine and culture and everything. It's really, really cool. I was doing some poking around at, like, some, looking at some restaurants, not in my neighborhood, but, like, up in a different neighborhood of the city, because my I, I saw a friend last week, and she was just like, let's get dinner, and I was like, yeah, I'll like, let me take a look at, like, some other places, and actually, I think this ended up being, like, a couple African restaurants, um... I think, I'm trying to remember, like, what, oh, it was a, a place that was Somali cuisine, and they have a dish called biryani, which is the same name and the same concept as an Indian dish and also a Pakistani dish called also called biryani, which is rice-based, and there's, like, meat and vegetables and everything, so maybe one day I'll have another friend on, and we'll talk about, like, food culture and stuff, and, like, how that all, that, like, it's really fascinating to me, but all that to say Western Asia is really cool. It's very, very cool that they, and, and awesome that they included that sort of cultural touch point here for the air nomads. So that is the people themselves. As for the bending art that's that they use, is called airbending, and that I have mentioned before that particular format. I once again mentioned in the Shang-Chi episodes. It's Baguazhang, which it loosely translates to a trigram palm, and it's fo- uh, this was this form was chosen because of its focus on dynamic circular movements and rapid directional changes. Once again, this is a nejia form, so this is focused. It's not really used for combat. It's mostly used for focusing on your relationship with your body, your breath, and just like a lot of you know more internal focus instead of like using your body as a weapon. So that is sort of a crash course of like all the building blocks for Avatar. I did not get into any of the minority cultures, so like the Sandbenders or the the Swamp, the Foggy Swamp tribe, those are the really the only two like minority cultures I can think of in the Avatar universe. I also didn't really get into what Tai Li does, which is, or I guess maybe I can talk about that real quick, but it seems like the bending arts involves like interacting with the concept of tea, which is like more or less translates to like breath and is the character used in the avatar intros when speaking about when when they when they show air but like apparently like it's kind of like naruto i'm really hesitant to say that but like it's kind of like naruto where like naruto uses chakra for ninjutsu Whereas, like, in Avatar, to be able to bend properly, you need to have, like, your chi points open or whatever. And Tai Li, with, like, her... I'm pretty sure this is based on, like, acupressure and everything, and, like, acupuncture, but basically, like, hitting 
vital chi points to like block off your flow and like disrupt it makes it so that way you can't bend they really didn't go too much into like chi blocking in the shows and like the mechanics and everything behind that it was certainly a really cool concept but yeah like i, I don't think they sure they did a history of like how the avatar came to be and like how people like were bending things and stuff it's like it's a gift from the lion turtle and even even then it's like when the lion turtles would give bending or even like in the finale the series finale where uh ang energy bends those points that he touches on azula on is his name is long oh my god no i think it is Azulong. no that's the grandpa oh no ozai <laughs> oh man Oh gosh, I I took too long of a break. It's getting late. Um, but yeah, no the the points that he touches on Ozai, those are like major. Like I think no, those are actually correspond to chakra points. But then I think like chakras are also like. I would have to do more research on this, but I'm pretty sure those points actually also lined up with major chi points. So like, that's something also to be explored a little bit more. It'd be cool to see that, but we don't really get any explanation of that in either Avatar The Last Airbender or Legend of Korra, so, like, I don't think we're going to get it. Although, with Avatar Studios, who knows, we might get more material. But, so that's it for the world of Avatar. Overall, and just kind of, like, wow, I'm almost at an hour and a half recording. Shoot. Like, with my, my thoughts for this series, it's... I really do, on the whole, really like Avatar. This came out when, let's see, this, I have to scroll back in my notes. This premiered in 2005, so at this point, I was 12. And now that I think about it, this, I think, I was super excited for this show. I thought there was a movie, but I remember my parents were pretty strict with, like, the amount of, like, TV that I could watch. So I remember hiding in the basement to watch this show because I was just really excited, because I'm just like, wow, this is, like, the first cartoon that I've ever seen that, like, has an explicit focus on Asian culture, and really the first time that I'd ever seen anyone like me and, like, talking about culture that was, like, mine on television. And, like, thankfully, Avatar is, like, aged pretty well. I will say that when it was put on Netflix early in the pandemic, like early in 2020, I watched the original series and it all held up pretty well. It's really well done and I really liked it and I think it's a really cool gateway into like appreciating Asian culture. In addition to the things that I highlighted that I think are like kind of shortcomings here, I do think that this show does also like lean very heavily into the trope of like Asian mysticism and like just sort of like exotifying Asian culture in general which is like really tired and like we don't need it anymore it just really helps to like Asian exoticism really helps to just like other or like make people who are Asian feel like they are other which obviously is not helpful especially like right now so I do wish that like I don't really know mm, I would have to I would have to give more thought as to like how to sort of like unexoticize this but like that is something that well I mean I think some of it is is fantasy so like okay like we do need a like a hit a hint of the mystical but I also think there's a way to do it respectfully not to say that Avatar did it disrespectfully because I really don't think the focus is on the mysticism I think like the bending arts and stuff like it's 
grounded enough in like the reality of that universe that like it doesn't seem like too bad but yeah like i do have there are some issues that i have overall with avatar and i do think that avatar is a as like a franchise and like the universe i think that the white creators really should let it go i do think that the the creators like have established a strong enough world and like they're they have established like the building blocks and they should let actual asian people take over you know, they like I said, they they've made the buildings blocks, but I think that Asian creators should be playing in the sandbox because it's a world based on our culture. And as I started to sort of highlight with my Boys Love series, it's really weird to consume media about you, but that's like not necessarily for you. I think Avatar is this really cool exception where it's like both about Asian folks, but also like for Asian folks, just because like I don't think there's like specifically like we don't want asian people to interact with this but yeah like i think it's time for the series to come under leadership from an asian american person like from aapi people just to like better communicate those stories and like add that much more cultural richness so wow i've been talking for a long time i'm gonna take one more break and then we'll come back with the final segment of the show and then i'll let you guys go all right, welcome back from the break. I'm going to try and wrap this up very quickly. So once again, the last segment of the show is called What's Your Nonsense? This is where I or my guest, whenever that happens, will talk about something that I that we're into that we'd like more people to get into. And my current nonsense, this is going to be a little bit heavy and sorry for ending the episode this way, but as folks may know, Russia invaded Ukraine last week. Yet another historic event is happening during our lifetimes. And a network media executive put out a statement that he later retracted being like, all Russian Americans and like Russian people in the United States should be rounded up. And like, expelled from the country their assets should be seized and frozen and whatever and if you know any history if you know any american history then maybe this sounded familiar and you'd be right because that is pretty much exactly what happened to the japanese americans during world war ii because there was a lot of racism and xenophobia and just fear during world war ii especially after the bombing of pearl harbor and people were like oh, we should just lock the Japanese up because they might be spies, which is just, like, the most absurd notion that, like, is just so stupid and very racist. So I would highly, highly recommend looking into the stories of Japanese-American concentration camps during World War II, learn about some people's stories, I would share mine, but this episode is getting really long already, so I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'll share that. Maybe I'll make that uh, a Patreon exclusive. Maybe I'll do that. That sounds cool. But yeah, so I would encourage you to learn a little bit about the history of Japanese-American incarceration and during the concentration camps during World War II. Learn about what actually happened and my people's stories and how this affected us, because it's just so upsetting and stupid and infuriating to see some idiot white person parroting exactly the same thing that changed the course of my grandparents' lives and, you know, changed the course of my family history, all because 
people were scared and people were xenophobic. It's just like really upsetting to see that and this is something that's not extended only to Russians in America, but also the Chinese in America. So if you're interested in the quote-unquote stop Asian hate, or as I've mentioned before, AAPI, our important movement, I would highly encourage you to learn about Japanese-American concentration camps during World War II, those experiences, and I will, now that I'm thinking about it, I am going to do a sort of Patreon special where if you pay into, I mean, I'm going to say like even what available to all Patreon tiers so that way it is accessible, but I will talk about my family history and my relationship to Japanese American concentration camps and everything. So learn about that so that way history doesn't repeat itself. Like, there are definitely parallels between the Japanese-American concentration camps and the Jewish concentration camps over in Germany. There are certainly similarities, and also there are some differences as well. So I'd encourage you to learn about that. Um, so that is sort of the heavy nonsense that I would really like people to get into and really learn more about. And... Yeah, so that that is that is the final segment. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, thank you so much for joining me. I would rem- like to remind you all that this is a completely independent venture. I do all of the recording and the editing and everything all by myself, and I pay SoundCloud to host me. I also pay a transcription service to help with doing the transcription of all of the episodes. So I use Patreon to help offset those costs. So if you liked what you heard, please head on over to the Patreon and check out the subscription tiers and see what is right for you. There's tier one, which gets you a shout out on the podcast. I did a shout out earlier at the top of the episode. Tier two gets you early access to the episode. So normally I'll take about a week or so to edit the podcast and like get it transcribed. And then pretty much the moment I'm done with transcription, I will upload it to Patreon and upload the episode as well as the transcript to Patreon. And everyone gets to everyone who is at least a tier two or above gets to listen to it that day and then the day after I release everything to the general public and then tier three gets you the ability to suggest topic ideas so as a reminder the past two like this segment as well as the previous segment on boys love these are both tier three topics that were suggested so if you'd like me to talk about something or like get somebody on to talk about some piece of media from like a person of color or queer perspective like consider subscribing at a tier three and i will say like you don't have to you don't have to keep you know just do do it for as long as you feel that you'd like any amount of support means a lot to me and and also helps so the patreon you can find um if you search on patreon for nonsense and noise podcast or just nonsense and noise, then you should be able to find it. It is a (laughs) picture of me drinking some wine. And if you would like to hear more of me and my own silliness, you can find me on Twitch and Instagram and Twitter at Kato Not Kato. That is K-A-H-T-O-N-O-T-K-A-Y-T-O. I'm predominantly active on Twitter where I have 
manic episodes about people who I respect suddenly deciding to follow me, and I am just generally silly over there. I don't really not using Instagram too much anymore, so really just follow me on Twitter. If you also follow me on if you follow me on Twitter, you'll also get notifications for when I go live on Twitch. As I said before, I'm streaming Legends Arceus. I'm gonna try and stream the fifth part of Legends Arceus sometime this week before Triangle Strategy, because I think I'm gonna dedicate Friday to streaming Triangle Strategy and probably the rest of that weekend too. So look out for that. Thanks again for tuning in for this big ol' honker of an episode, and I'll look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thanks. Bye.